Welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you so much for being here. You will notice that right now there's a, a tension in most of the media broadcasts out there. There's an, there's an anxiety. That shows you in and of itself how many people are really invested emotionally, psychologically, professionally in a certain outcome of this election. And, and understand this, as I've been telling you all along, it is entirely unclear to me how liberals will be able to process a Trump re-election should that happen. It is entirely beyond my comprehension how they will manage to comprehend this, how they'll manage to actually deal with this without, I don't know, more craziness in the streets, rioting, looting, who knows? Or they'll just come up with another reason why the president didn't win this time around. But you can see it. It's getting worse because they're also saying crazier and crazier stuff, and you barely even notice it. And I'm talking about the biggest names, the Democrat Party. I'm talking about people with massive followings online and social media. These are people who you would expect to exercise some degree of judgment, some degree of or at least a, a willingness to hold back with their most insane and, and outlandish emotions about this upcoming election, which is now two weeks from today. And as we know, I think over 30 million, at least as of yesterday, early uh, early ballots have already been cast. So there's a lot of stuff going on already. And we can see how this battleground is shaping up so far. And it is going to be an absolute dogfight, street fight. Come up with your come up with your uh, term of term of art here. It's definitely going to get ugly. It's going to be ugly. Uh, you're seeing Trump derangement syndrome really reaching new heights, because remember, the last time we got to this phase, even Trump supporters, I voted for the president in the first election. I, I was a vocal supporter of him all throughout the general election, encouraging everybody I could to vote for him. And I thought I was doing something that was probably not going to work out. I just figured the Hillary machine too big, too much. Turned out, thank God, that was wrong. This time around, though, the liberals are going into this with a, a state of panic in the back of their minds. Yeah, they want to put on a big show of how confident they are right now. Oh, look at Joe in the polls. He's leading in every battleground state. He's leading in just the national poll. He's leading it. OK, well, we'll see. We'll see. If anything, we've already come to the conclusion the Trump era that a lot of the old political uh, shibboleths, a lot of the old uh, maxims that we had lived by in politics turned out not to be true, right? Oh, the, the candidate with the best ground game, the candidate with the, most, uh, with the most media buys in key markets or raises the most money, although that's never really been true. No, Trump was 97% destined to lose in 2016, and they want you to believe somehow that he's even more destined to lose now. And I don't buy it, and I know you don't buy it either. So just remember that there is an advantage, there is an incentive in making sure that Trump voters feel like this is hopeless. The media is in on this. Trump's opponent, Biden, all the rest of them are in on this. And now we've got this debate coming up on Thursday, which I'll talk more about. But I think this will be one of the most watched presidential debates in history. I think this one is going to be completely uh, off off the chain, off the hook, however you want to say it. And you can tell based on the way the Democrats are looking at all of this and how they're preparing their own side that one, and this will tie into our discussion about Pennsylvania and the ballot, uh, the delayed ballot counting that the Supreme Court has now said will occur there. I'm going to get to that. Uh, they want everyone to know they're not going to concede on election night if it's close. Depends on how close it is, probably, but they're not going to concede. So we're not going to be through this. So imagine all the tension, all the anxiety of this year. This, this has been a tough year for America. I don't care what part of the country you're in. COVID, the lockdowns, just the general sense of 
of uh, misery and frustration that so many people have, including a lot of people that feel real lost because of the family members that have passed away from COVID. You know, the country's in a tough spot right now. And fascinatingly enough, though, despite all those very true those very true statements, you have 55 percent in the most recent polling of Americans saying that they think they're better off now than they were four years ago. I think that's only possible. The only way you get to that perception is if you're measuring Trump before covid hit. How are you doing before covid? And the, and people believe that they're going to go back to that place as soon as we get through this. This is temporary. It shall pass. The question now is how soon and how much damage is being done in the meantime. But that's all a very rational way of looking at this. And you have to remember that we're dealing with an entirely irrational opposition, Democrat Party, mainstream media. Uh, Here is Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren, who I actually thought, despite her Native American heritage debacle, Despite all that, I really believe that Elizabeth Warren was probably going to be the Democrat nominee. And she came really, I think you'd say, in third place behind Bernie and Biden. Uh, but this is so so th- that's important because here's somebody who's not just a, a random a TV commentator who's trying to get attention, who's not just out there trying to make a name for himself or herself by being outrageous. This is someone who we believe or we are led to believe should be taken very seriously, right? We should listen to her. We should believe that she's thinking about her words. And then she says stuff like this, which I'd have to say, for for a sitting United States uh, senator for Massachusetts to say this, it's pretty crazy but it's really indicative of this moment i i don't i don't think that this is an outlier statement and that's what i believe is so important i think that this is where the democrats really are now not all of them but a lot of the most of them this is now the ethos of the party here she is play clip three the climate crisis is here and no it is not the science around this is not controversial the science is clear. In fact, you know what scares me to death? Is every time we get more data and reanalyze the data, what we discover is the problem's even worse than we thought. We have even less time than we thought. And so what has Donald Trump done for four years? He not only hasn't made things better, he has actively made them worse. He withdrew us from the, Cl- the Paris Climate Accord. He's put a coal lobbyist in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency, what could possibly go wrong? He has opened up for offshore drilling, and he has said yes to the oil companies. They can drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Preserve. Donald Trump threatens the existence of human life, of all life on this planet. Now, that last line is what I really wanted you to hear. Donald Trump threatens the existence of human life on this planet. Donald Trump is going to make humanity go extinct. Do you do you see that? Do you hear that, friends? Sitting senator from Massachusetts came in third in the Democrat primary. She says that out loud. She says that over a loudspeaker at a, at a, con- a press conference. Doesn't even doesn't even really get much notice. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Trump is going to eradicate the human species. I'm not I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. Donald Trump threatens the existence of human life. Those are her words. Her chosen practice prepared words. How do you handle a left wing opposition that speaks in this way that that takes these kinds of positions? How do you have a civil political dialogue with people who keep looking at you saying the data says unless you do everything that we say? Human life will cease to exist on this planet. Wouldn't it be challenging to come up with a with a crazier theory? Wouldn't you have to really struggle to come up with something that is both uh, cataclysmic in its outlook and catastrophic in its implementation, which is what this Green New Deal and all this climate stuff would be? Wouldn't you uh, see it that way? Yeah. Uh, And then there's the other part of this. Here we are still struggling through covid uh, still on this 
uneven footing, depending on what state you're in. Some places doing a little better than others, but country's not normal. We don't get to really see each other, socialize, live our lives, go out there. Nope. Everyone's being told all the time, wear a mask, stay inside, be afraid of your fellow human beings. Stay away from them. Everybody. Not safe. Can't even go to Thanksgiving dinner, Fauci says. Sorry, no Thanksgiving for you this year. Right. They're saying all of that. And yet Elizabeth Warren will also turn around and start talking about the climate crisis. I mean, she was talking. I don't even remember what it was she said, but, uh, you know, they're going to go drill somewhere. Who cares? Only people for whom this is a religious belief think that anybody sitting around wondering about how awful it is that the president has a a person who's tied to the coal lobby working for the EPA or uh, if that's even true, I don't even know. And uh, the point is, I don't care. It doesn't matter. We got much more important stuff right now. But her voice is quivering and she's at least projecting this sense of imminent uh, of imminent catastrophe unless we defeat Donald Trump at the election. They can't just make a normal good faith argument about where Trump has succeeded, where he's failed, what they do better. It's vote for Biden or else the world is going to come to an end. And that's not me exaggerating. That's what their pitch is. That is what Elizabeth Warren is telling you here. An existential threat to humanity. That is what Donald Trump represents. Now, I understand that by looking at the craziness of the other side, there might be a a complacency, or I don't know, you could go with complacency or you could feel a helplessness. How could we combat this? How can you deal with this level of ideological insanity? But I'm bringing it up just because I think when you see what the leaders of that party are saying and what they're willing to say about this president, you'll understand everything that's going to flow from here until the next few weeks, because I don't think it's going to be over in two weeks. I think they're going to extend it. You're going to see that this is everything they've got. You know, and so much of this, I think, is also tied into people who are, and I'll just say it, people who have a kind of emptiness. I've referred to Hillary Clinton before as having a hole in her soul. And I think there are a lot of people who have holes in their souls right now, and perhaps even more so than usual because of all the understandable anxiety and all the all the friction and and fear around covid. Uh, but instead of taking a, a longer term view about why we're really here on this earth and thinking about a, a relationship with God and taking it to that level of, of existential thought and consideration and philosophy, they turn around and no Trump is an existential threat to people who don't know why they're here. Trump is an existential threat to those who have to seek some other form of understanding what their purpose is every day, because if it's defeating this politician named Donald J. Trump, who I think did a very good job as president, as you know, is clearly not a threat to the world and uh, is more capable in every respect than his competitor here, Joe Biden. You know, if if that's really an existential threat to the world, what are we to make of what's happened for the last four years? Doesn't make any sense. There is a senselessness in the arguments here. So just be prepared for it, because it's going to get very nasty out there. It's going to get ugly and it's going to get evil. They didn't do anything really so far, at least with ACB. Seemed like they couldn't come up with anything. But you are going to hear things said not just about Trump, but about Trump voters, too, for the next two weeks that would shock a person who was not prepared with an understanding of just how deep into Trump derangement syndrome the left has gone. You've got to keep it in mind. You've got to remember that because otherwise you're going to be caught off guard. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily podcast. Get more from Buck by following him on social media at Buck Sexton on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget to visit BuckSexton.com. And if you're voting for that man who two weeks from Election Day is calling for the arrest of his opponent, then you have absolutely no idea what America is about. Let me say it again. You have no idea what this country is about if you are supporting a man who two weeks out yeah. is calling for the arrest of his money. You can't, you can't 
explain that away. You can't explain that away to history. You can't explain that away to your children or grandchildren. You just can't. And you can't plead ignorance because you know better. I don't think you can explain away spending more than 15 seconds watching the Joe Scarborough show in the morning. But that's me. Here he is, one of the most fervent anti-Trumpers out there. And look, we all understand this same thing with these different anti-Trump groups that have raised all this money from Democrats to trash Trump. It's just about money, it's just about influence, money, power, no principles involved here. There's no such thing as a principled, never Trump, pro-Biden, conservative opposition. Certainly not anymore, and you could argue probably not from the beginning either. There's no such thing. Just frauds. Just people lying, pretending to be something that they're not. But here you get Joe Scarborough saying that the big problem he sees, one of many, I'm sure, with Donald Trump, is that he was calling for the arrest of his opponent. And I'm not going to call him out because he's a conservative radio host, not one of the very, very big names, so before any of you guess, but somebody yesterday I saw saying that, you know, could you imagine if Democrats were calling for the arrest of their political opponents? Come on, conservatives, like we can't. And I'm looking at this saying, what do you think the Mueller probe was all about? What do people think using a special counsel that was unaccountable to anybody, really, because you had a, an attorney general who was recused, so nobody was going to step in and actually make sure this was on the up and up. What do you call unleashing a special counsel on people with the express purpose of taking down an administration, prosecuting people within the administration, up to and including the president if they could get away with it, if they had enough to impeach and remove they would have done it and then tried to try to throw Donald Trump in prison. You know that they want to throw General Flynn in prison after 30 years of serving in the United States military and being the DIA director under the Obama administration because they lied about a conversation that he had with a couple of FBI agents who lied about why they were even talking to him in the first place to get him. So now we're going to get lectured by the other side when the Hunter Biden emails have come out and we see what's really going on. We're going to get lectured about how, oh, but you shouldn't want anything. You shouldn't want to see the, your, your opponents prosecuted. The Democrats tried to imprison Trump, Trump supporters, his family members, everyone around him for almost four uninterrupted years. And then and then impeached him anyway when they couldn't actually get the political muscle together to really make it happen, to get a removal from office. So now we're going to be lectured about how Trump says lock her up. Trump says these things and he actually has a point because Hillary did break the law. And it looks like maybe Joe Biden also did break the law. Hillary 100 percent broke the law. I don't care what moron James Comey says. Uh, but now we have Joe Biden. Maybe he broke the law, too. So do the law does the law count or not? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the best of Buck daily podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton show. So the very fact that these uh, emails come into the public sphere from Rudy Giuliani, the fact that Andre Durkacz seems to know more about these emails than almost anybody else, um, tells you where they're coming from. I mean, at some point, you, you sort of have to believe what you see, which is that when individuals who are either identified Russian agents or are conspiring with Russian agents are providing the information upon which mainstream media are reporting, um, you have to understand what the, what, the, what the deal is here. And again, I'm not alone here. 50 high-level intelligence agents, people who have worked in the intelligence agencies, came out and said um, that this is most likely Russian propaganda. That means nothing. That means nothing. It's obvious why they would take that position. There's a benefit for them. Right. They, they politically are invested in Joe Biden beating Donald Trump. And some of them, I'm telling you, want to get back into the game at the top of the intel community and be important and, uh, and powerful again. And one way to do that is by signing letters like this. Who, who do you think the Biden transition team is going to want to have running their CIA or their D, you know, become their DNI if they manage to get to that point by beating Donald Trump? People that will sign a letter like this when it counts. Everyone knows this. Everyone can see it. But where is there evidence that this is disinformation? It doesn't exist. But the evidence for Russia collusion also did not exist. It was a fabrication, it was a falsehood from top to bottom. There was no collusion. 
And yet now we're at a point where they're telling us the exact opposite of what is true is true. Uh, This is the ultimate gaslighting, and that's what this has turned into. If Joe Biden was a solid candidate, if Joe Biden was inspiring and people really believe that he'd do a great job, why why would people need to resort to this kind of stuff? Why would the attacks on Trump have to have to involve lies? Because now, remember, if it's Russian disinformation, now Trump is the liar, you see. So so it actually goes from defense to offense. Not only is this thing not true, Trump is part of a conspiracy against Hunter and Joe Biden with it. That's why this is so useful. You can never disprove it. How can you disprove it's Russian disinformation? Well, you know, prove it isn't. That's the way they approach it. At least, I mean, a normal, rational person wouldn't say that, but that's what they're doing. And beyond that, it's not just, oh, Hunter didn't do anything wrong. It's this is the problem that we have now. Uh, because of Donald Trump, you see. So they turn defense to offense. The The shield becomes the sword. And that's that's all a part of this as well. In the last couple of weeks here, friends, this is it. It's game time. You know it's game time. So I don't know. You know, it's kind of an intense show today. And I'm just because I'm, I'm feeling like we're in the fight. And I'm not going to lie to you. I think Trump's going to win, but it's going to be close. It's going to be ugly. And it's not going to be over on November 3rd in my mind. Maybe it will. I... I love it when I make predictions and I hope they're wrong and they are wrong, but not always. That that tends not to be really the only thing I can think of in recent memory. Well, ACB hearings didn't get as crazy as I thought they would. uh, The efforts to stop that and Trump's election in 2016. But other than that, on the big ones, I tend to get it right. But I I'm trying to avoid getting into the. The Jeffrey Tubin story, I, I don't think this is a this is just. Is prurient the right word or, uh, you know, this is salacious. I don't you know, this looks it's Tubin's a Tubin's a jerk. And so people see a guy like this who's a hack and who's nasty to people and has a really, you know, really bad history of behavior that makes him an, an odious fellow. And he does something that is this level of embarrassing. I, mean, I can't even really describe it on radio. I mean, he's special fun, fun time. Um, is that how I described it? You described something else like that. I felt it applied here. <laughs> okay. Fun, fun time. Um, yeah. So Jeffrey Tubin was having some, some self-fun, fun time on a Zoom call, which, as you know, includes video with some esteemed colleagues of The New Yorker, which is probably the snootiest left-wing publication or, you know, liberal publication out there. It's the snootiest, right? The most, oh, I subscribe to the New Yorker. Oh, listen to me. I'm so fancy. I believe in the New Yorker. I mean, some of the cartoons are clever, but other than that. uh, And yeah, it's not from a big story. You know, initially it came out and they said that there was, so I guess we are good. You know, we need need a break from, oh, this guy's falling in Trump and all this stuff. Uh, So initially the story came out and it said that he exposed himself accidentally on a Zoom call. And now to this, because a lot of us are working from home. I work from home. Other people, I thought, all right, look, you know, everything's got a camera on it these days. We're all super connected all the time. You know, if he left a laptop open, thought he closed out a window and was on the other side of his apartment. I think he lives in New York where, you know, space is small. Even if you're rich, you don't have very big space. Uh, and if you're not rich like me, you have very small space. But, you know, you could see, Okay, look, this can happen. It's embarrassing. But then they suspended him. I thought, "Ooh, whoa. I mean, come on. It's an accident. Right. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, come on. And I thought, no, this is more than that. It wasn't he was changing on the other side of of the bedroom or something and left the Zoom call open and someone got a quick flash. I'd say, look, come on, we're all adult. I mean, it wasn't intentional. You know, he says, sorry, you let that go. This is a little worse because he was on a Zoom call and apparently on another Zoom call at the same time. And the other Zoom call was clearly more interesting because uh, he decided to engage in self fun, fun time on the video. So this is going to be a tough that's a tough one to uh, to live down, although I'm sure CNN is going to bring he'll be back. He'll be fine. He's already a very wealthy guy, so he'll be all right. Right. And that's the thing. Uh, but I guess I don't even know what the what the well, there are a few 
lessons learned from this one. But I think one of them is, uh, you know, you never want to be that guy who people think is so nasty and so vicious, such a jerk in the media or in any business, that when something like this happens to you, there's very few people that are willing to show any sympathy. Very few people that are willing to say now. And I'm talking about the initial allegation, which is different from what it turned out to be. So maybe maybe that's a lesson from it. And the other one is uh, all mics are on and all video cameras are are recording. And you just you know, you don't know. You don't know. But that story, I think everyone also focused in on that because they just wanted something that wasn't the sky is falling in Russia and all this really intense election stuff. I, I think there was just a psychological need for a story that was something else uh, in the at the top of the news ticker for a few for a few hours. So that one broke uh, yesterday. And now producer Mark has reminded me that we can always use the euphemism fun, fun time because uh, we can say that on radio. Right, Mark? There's no FCC issue there. So there we go. Yeah, that's the perfect way to describe it on radio. I think that's right. You know. And, uh, you know, just for everybody out there, if you're going to have fun, fun time, make sure you've closed your high level work call Zoom. That's important. You know, important safety tip for all involved. And I will say it's a level. There's a level of embarrassment that even when somebody is is pretty is a pretty honestly pretty awful person. There's a level of embarrassment where you you see it. you You just go, oh, man. And I think this reaches that one. This reaches that one. So I guess we'll just take the lessons learned and now we can go back to the Russian disinformation. Thanks for listening to the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com and remember to subscribe to the podcast. The whole lock them up, uh, false conspiracy theories against the Bidens really is stunning. I mean, he could be talking about the economy, and making false claims about that, but, you know, blame it on COVID. He could be talking about a Supreme Court nominee who is popular with his base and what they've done with the courts. Yet he's going after, you know, these Rudy Giuliani created, you know, false plots that we now have learned uh, could well be tied to Russian intelligence because Giuliani was wittingly or unwittingly meeting with Russian intelligence agents. People have been designated by the U.S. government as such. What? The heck is she talking about? Let's really dig into this for a moment, shall we? That is uh, Andrea Mitchell, who, for reasons unbeknownst to me, is considered a person that other human beings should listen to on matters of politics and news over at NBC and has for a long time. I know she's been in the game for a long time. She's over at NBC. And she's saying things that are the mainstream Democrat talking points right now. She's saying there's a Russian conspiracy theory. She's saying that Rudy Giuliani was talking to Russian agents and all this. They're bringing back the whole Russia thing. It's, as Yogi Berra said, deja vu all over again. That's where we are. This is 2016 part two. Do you recall? I think it was early in the summer. I said they're going to bring back Russia collusion. I wasn't sure how. I thought maybe they'd just make the same allegations. But I knew because people have been hardwired on the left to think of Russia as this omnipresent menace that can go after you everywhere and anywhere in favor of Donald Trump. It's it's always on Trump's behalf, too. It's never just an attack on the country. It's always like Trump is so tight with Putin and all this other stuff that they've been told. But she's saying the Hunter Biden scandal is a false conspiracy theory. What is false about it? Really spend a moment to think about this today. What, What exactly has been said that's not true? No intelligent person believes that the laptop is not Hunter Biden. It's a laptop that has intimate photos of Hunter Biden on it. And that's putting it gently. Uh, No one thinks that that's not real, that it's some deep fake. No one said that. The campaign hasn't claimed that that's uh, the case. They've only said that Joe Biden didn't have an official meeting on his schedule with this Russian. Look, here's what you have to start with. Run this thought experiment. If... There was a video of Joe Biden laughing. At, and again, this is a this is a a thought experiment, theoretical. Right. So I'm not and I don't want Media Matters or whatever to clip this. And oh, look what Buck Sexton saying on his radio show. No, I'm just saying think this through. If there was a video of Russian intelligence agents sitting down 
with or, or sorry, you, a Ukrainian businessman. Forget about Russian intelligence agents. Ukrainian businessman sitting down with Hunter and Joe Biden talking about the payment structure for this Burisma scheme and how they're going to make sure that the investigators, you know, get pushed away from this and all this other stuff. Right. But if it was on tape, smoking gun and we already have smoking gun emails, but let's say it's on video. Do you think any of the people that were calling this a conspiracy yesterday or today would change their minds tomorrow? Do you think that any Democrat with power and influence in the media or in the Democrat Party is able to be swayed no matter what the evidence is here around Burisma and this corrupt scheme? The answer is no. So when you understand that, when you see how it doesn't matter, then you can also understand very quickly why is it that they just keep saying things that are so obviously untrue. Because, friends, when it comes to defeating Trump for Democrats, the truth does not matter. It's irrelevant. They don't care. How else could you explain what they're trying to do here? How else could you explain uh, the way that they're just pretending these stories at first, it didn't exist, and they tried to suppress it. And then they tried to call it a non-story, but turned out that the suppression effort became, that day, an even bigger story than the Hunter Biden story. And so then it probably spread even further than it would have otherwise. And then they said, oh, it's not really, it doesn't show anything. He didn't do anything wrong. That was always Joe Biden's line when he was pressed about this months and months ago. Oh, he didn't do anything wrong. That's what he would yell at reporters, the occasional reporter who would ask about the Burisma situation. And now beyond that, I mean, going even further. Uh, they're saying that it's a Russian disinformation campaign. They have exactly zero evidence of this, but with incredible precision, like a Swiss watch. All of a sudden, this became what you would hear from the biggest news outlets and the biggest, you know, Democrat mouthpieces in the whole in the whole country. Uh, you have Politico. Here, here you go. Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former intel officials say uh, our intelligence community is never going to recover. Its reputation is never going to recover from what's happened in these Trump years. I mean, the fact that you had Brennan and Clapper and, and all these other deep state clowns doing the stuff that they did to try and destroy Donald Trump is stunning. Absolutely stunning. I mean, they're supposed to be nonpartisan professionals who don't get into the political fray. And what we saw was they're actually willing to be weaponized and use their access and the powers of their office in order to pull that off. Right. That's. That's what uh, we've learned about my old my old uh, institution, the CIA place I worked for 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 years and made some great friends there and have some very fond memories of the place. But it was a mess then. But we did have a purpose. We did want to prevent the towers from getting hit with more towers from getting hit with planes or, you know, public squares getting bombed, these kinds of mass casualty attacks. We had a reason for showing up to work every day that for at least a time seemed to transcend politics. And with the with the uh, not entire disappearance, obviously, I saw what just happened in France with this guy who got beheaded for showing a, a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. That's still a thing that can get you beheaded in France, apparently. Uh, but with the with the decline of Islamic uh, well, of jihadism, Islamic radicalism around the world as a an imminent threat to the U.S. What we see is now the biggest threat is supposed to be internal. It's almost like all these lib movies and TV shows that I've seen where the bad guys always end up being, you know, the, the real threat to the United States always comes from some corporation or some uh, some right wing group that's trying to seize power from within from within the government, right? It's, but it's always very, very right-wing. They believe this. I mean, they've come to believe this. At a time when the left can call upon the biggest, wealthiest companies, most influential companies in the world, right? Remember, Facebook, Google, and we'll talk about the DOJ suit coming up here against them to try to finally break, break up at least Google, which I think is 
absolutely should happen. There should be more competition. More competition ensures for more accountability. Uh, and antitrust for people say, oh, Buck, let the market speak. Well, I don't want to get I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll get there. But the left has a stranglehold on these massive institutions, more influential, powerful, wealthy than than any other corporations really in the world. Remember, there's Walmart will sell you stuff. Facebook and Google determine what you see, what you buy, how you communicate Far more influential, right? I mean, uh, I know Walmart does a very good job of delivering stuff for a, or, you know, putting stuff in the stores for a cheap price. But what these social media giants do, the left controls them. And yet they're always worried about Trump as the fascist. This is a this is a fabrication and this is a figment of their imagination that Donald Trump is on the cusp of some kind of uh, right wing overthrow of our government system and this is the kind of language that they use meanwhile on the other side they actually tried to overthrow a president they just tried, they just used the weaponization of the law and the intelligence community to achieve that and fortunately they were unable to succeed but that doesn't mean the next time around they won't and why should we believe they won't try it again think about this they got away with it they weren't entirely successful, but who's been held to account? And I know it would look it would have been more powerful, more clicks, more downloads. If I tell everybody, oh, the Dur- Durham's going to get everybody. He's going to line them up and frog march them out. The Durham probe is couldn't tell you that because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Or at least that was my very strong feeling that I felt obligated to share with you. And sure enough, here we are two weeks from an election. Yeah, the Durham probe. Not so much. Not so much. But these former intelligence officials, uh, these former intelligence officials who are coming out and saying the Hunter Biden story is Russian disinformation. You also have to remember they see something in this for themselves. It's all about now it's it's changed so much because of instantaneous and omnipresent digital media. It's about your profile. You know who gets the top jobs in the next Biden administration? The people who are the best known, have the best connections and the most clout in many ways, honestly, the most famous in their field or the most well, you know, well known in their area of, of practice. <clears throat> so for some of these former intelligence people, if they want to be the CIA director, deputy director, FBI director, you name it, a great way to do it is by signing your name to things like this. So you got these 50 former intelligence officials sign this letter Casting doubt on the provenance of a New York Post story. Here's what it says. Quote, the emails allegedly belong to Joe Biden's son has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. The letter signed on Monday centers around a batch of documents released by the New York Post last week that purport to tie the Democratic nominee to his son Hunter's business dealings. Under the banner headline Biden secret emails, the Post reported it was given a copy of Hunter Biden's laptop hard drive by President Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who said he got it from a Mac shop owner in Delaware who also alerted the FBI. While the letter's signatories presented no new evidence, they said their national security experience had made them deeply suspicious that the Russian government played a significant role in this case and cited several elements of the story that suggested the Kremlin's hand at work. Uh, Nick Shapiro, a former top aide under CIA director John Brennan, provided Politico with the letter on Monday. He noted that the IC leaders who have signed this letter worked for the past four presidents, including Trump. That means nothing. The real power here, however, is the number of former working level IC officers. Look, friends. uh, The CIA and the intelligence community are full of a bunch of libs. Elizabeth Warren was uh, is a United States senator and was a professor at Harvard Law School. And she says the president's an existential threat to human life. OK, do you, you think that that mentality she's an elite, you know, Harvard professor, rich lady living in Massachusetts. And she says stuff like that. And people clap for her. You don't think that there are plenty of folks working in the intelligence community, working in law enforcement who also feel that way. And if you felt that way, if you really believe the president was an existential threat to this nation, to our institutions of governance, or to human life on planet Earth, what would you not be willing to do? 
So we know the crazy is there. We know the crazy is widespread within the Democrat Party. So what else do we have to do here for everyone to understand that that's going to have consequences? They they're signing a letter. This letter is an embarrassment, an absolute embarrassment. They're just basically saying, don't believe this. Rely on our resumes and our perceived credibility in the public's eye. Uh, Don't don't uh, believe that this is real because we say so. This is scary. I mean, really, the suppression campaign around the Hunter Biden emails for me is still and and on the the make believe Russian. The disinformation is calling this Russian disinformation. That's the great irony. But whatever works, we're in this final stretch here for the Democrats, whatever they have to pull off, whatever they have to say, they'll do it. They'll do it. And that's what you're seeing play out right now. This is the Best of Buck Daily Podcast. The top stories of the day from the Buck Sexton Show. For more Buck, head to BuckSexton.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. As promised, our friend Sean Parnell joins us now. He is a former Army Ranger, decorated combat veteran, author, best-selling author, and currently running in an absolutely critical race in Pennsylvania for House District 17. Sean Parnell joins us now. Sean, my man, great to have you. Hey, great to be here, Buck. How's it going? Oh, man, it's it's crazy for me, but I feel like it's probably even crazier for you right now. Two weeks out from from the big day. I want to get into what you're seeing nationally and also specifically in your congressional race out in western Pennsylvania. But first, we have this Supreme Court decision four four. It came down. So tie, which means that it reverts to the lower court decision in Pennsylvania, which said that, well, actually, Sean, let's have you're you're in that state. So this is really going to matter, folks like you. What just happened here? What did the Supreme Court decide to do? Well, uh, they allowed for a ballot extension, Buck. Uh, The Supreme Court effectively moved the election day uh, from November 3rd to November 6th. And so what's really disconcerting about this is that ballots can be returned up to three days after election day and don't require a postmark. Now, uh, look, this is not me trying to throw partisan jabs, right? But I think anybody that's approaching this in a fair-minded way sort of scratches their head and and says, what is going on here? How does this make sense? Pennsylvanians deserve uh, free and fair elections. And I I think people are worried that the Democrats are going to see, you know, how how many votes they're down on election day. And then they're going to go into overdrive over the next three days to try to deliver those votes. And look, you know, we've known all along, Buck, that Republicans are going to show up on election day around here. And, And again, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but I've never seen an enthusiasm for a president uh, like I have here in in Pennsylvania. And truthfully, you know, we don't focus enough on this, but the proof is in the numbers of our voter registrations, Buck. And we are just, we are absolutely destroying the Democrats in voter registration. And And I say this all the time, but Pennsylvania is actually more favorable for the president today than it was in 2016. The only difference is, is, Sort of, sort of the chaos that's surrounding the mail-in ballots. Now, that's really interesting to hear because we, we keep seeing that the big headline is Trump is down in every national poll, in every battleground state. You know, this is what the drumbeat is from the media. And I think it's, it's meant, in, at least in, in part, to demoralize. Uh, and they're very happy about it. You know, the same way that they were talking about a, uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, polls showing that a majority of the American people didn't want her confirmed, and that was a big talking point. Well, then the hearings happened, and now firm majority of the American people wants her confirmed, and now, poll, now polls don't matter all of a sudden about that, right? So we, we know that the, the, uh, the evidence, the basis for all this changes so very, very quickly. Uh, what are you seeing right now in Pennsylvania that, that is favorable for the president? I mean, you're telling me that, that, early, I mean, that, uh, that voter registration is up. Do we have any sense of how the early voting is going? Well, Democrats are beating us in early voting, uh, and it's not even close. But uh, look, bottom line is this. The, the, the people that are voting right now on the Democratic side of the aisle, uh, and this is just, you know, you know, my campaign talking, right? But they're, by and large, people that were going to show up on Election Day, and it looks to us like they're cannibal- cannibalizing their own Election Day vote. Uh, we talk about 
the, the numbers in the state of Pennsylvania, Buck, and these are hard numbers. You know, the Republicans have regi- registered over like almost over 200,000 new Republican voters since 2016. That is that's some of those people are undoubtedly Democrats that maybe voted for Trump in 2016 and maybe switched party registration, but nowhere near all of them. And so uh, in Pennsylvania, President Trump won the state of Pennsylvania by 44,000 votes thereabouts in 2016. And, and it, the, we've got 160, 180 plus thousand new newly registered Republicans here in the state of Pennsylvania, by the way, who aren't reflected in the polls, who are definitely turning out and voting for President Trump. Now, in, in my district, Republicans are also beating Democrats in voter registration. I think we've registered a thousand more Republicans uh, than the Democrats have registered uh, for themselves. And so, look, I, I, those are the numbers that I look at. And I look at the numbers here in Pennsylvania 17 as well. And and if the district had existed in, in 2016, President Trump would have won this district by over 10,000 votes. And Senator Toomey in the very same year won the district by 17,000 votes. Now, you will never hear that portrayed on the media, right? You will never hear those those hard numbers uh, portrayed on the media because they'd rather focus on polling wh- whose methodology, quite frankly, is, is dated. And, and here's why, Buck. Look, we've got Governor Tom Ridge, who's a guy that I respect immensely, uh, who's a lifetime Republican here from Western Pennsylvania, was a, gov- was a congressman in Western Pennsylvania, a governor, is voting for Joe Biden. But almost every Democrat that I talked to in Beaver County, all of which is in my district, are voting for Trump. How do you poll that? How do you find statistical sampling that would represent that? It's it's very, very difficult to poll Western Pennsylvania. And I, I will tell you this, this race, both Pennsylvania and PA 17, is going to be a razor thin margin. It just is. Speaking of Sean Parnell, he is a former Army Ranger and he is now running against Connor Lamb out in uh, Western Pennsylvania, Congressional District 17. Sean, uh you know, you and I talk offline a lot, too. We've known each other for years. What what is your response to this obviously concerted and and really ruthless campaign to pretend that once again, Donald Trump may win, according to the Democrats, because of Russian interference, this time a Russian disinformation campaign around Hunter Biden's emails? Uh, Buck, look, I, 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 I've never seen. I've never seen the media like this. And it's not just the national media. I've never seen the media so in the tank for a political party before in my life. And I look, man, I think it's dangerous. You know, the people rely on the media to get the truth and the facts out about both parties. Look, I want the media to ask me tough questions, but the media should also ask Democrats tough questions as well. Like, for example, uh, Connor Lamb is not on the record about court packing. Connor Lamb is not on the record about removing the filibuster. Connor Lamb is not on the record about issues that would fundamentally transform our country. And this is not Sean Parnell saying this stuff. These are Democrats, national Democrats in Washington, who say they're going to do this stuff if they win. Now, if we had a responsible media at the local and national level, they'd be asking the Democrats these questions and getting them on the record. And the fact that, that, look, this Hunter Biden story, this is a this is a huge deal. The fact that the Biden family, what it looks like, they profited off their name to the tune of tens of millions of dollars funneled through Hunter Biden and into the Biden family from countries like Russia, Ukraine and China. And, and that to me is just it's just unbelievable to me that that one, the, the Democrats and the media are pushed peddling this. Russia disinformation nonsense to to where even the the DNI has come out and said no that's not true, but what's worse is that nobody has has even really asked Joe Biden in any sort of concerted way about it and to the CBS reporter who did it I can't remember his name hey kudos to him for actually asking the question but but the American people need and deserve an answer on these questions before election day. And it's just staggering to me that he can get away with it. It seem, he can seemingly get away with it. Now, Sean, your race is being looked at as one of those uh, bellwether congressional races for the rest of the country, particularly because, you know, you're you're a veteran running against a veteran in a swing state in a as a contentious an election as anybody's ever seen. And a swing state that now is going to have the extension, the three day extension, as you mentioned, uh, to get ballots in 
don't even have to necessarily be postmarked. Uh, what should people know about about uh, your opponent, Connor Lamb, and how you stack up against him? And people be hearing this that are in and around your district. Well, I would say that, you know, when people, you know, people in Pennsylvania 17, they think, you know, Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are both radical, right? Um, but and sometimes they don't think that Connor Lamb is, even though his voting record is exactly the same. And what I say is that if you look at Ilhan Omar and you look at uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they're outward with their radicalism. Connor, Connor Lamb is almost more dangerous because he keeps it under wraps and nobody here locally holds him accountable for his radical voting record. Um, you know, Connor Lamb is, is a case study in contrast of somebody that comes around every two years and tells people what he thinks that they want to hear in district and then goes to Washington and does something completely different. And by the way, said he was going to be pro-gun, has an F rating with the NRA today, said he's going to be pro-life votes against the Born Alive Act twice, said he was going to support President Trump and the Republicans who put him in office, voted to impeach the president, said he was going to oppose Pelosi, votes with Pelosi over 90% of the time, takes FOP endorsements in 2018, and two years later, he's marching with defund the police radicals. I mean, the, the, just he, he is just a case study in, in contrast. It sounds like Joe in, Biden a little bit. It sounds like the, the whole Joe Biden presidency is premised along a guy that, you know, he's not you can trust him. He's not so bad. He's not so radical. Joe even says that. And then you say, well, well, hold on a second. You were saying you wanted to ban fracking like five minutes ago. That's pretty radical. Yeah. Well, not only not only Joe Biden, but Kamala Harris said she bans fracking day one. And uh, the Unity Task Force, which is Joe Biden's uh, environmental and energy task force, the chair of that task force is Bernie Sanders. The co-chair of that task force is Alex Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And Connor Lamb is on that task force as well and works for them. Now, all of these people have been on the record saying that they're going to ban fracking, all of them. And so are you going to believe what they say two weeks before an election when they desperately need uh, the, the votes of people in Pennsylvania? Are you going to believe what they've said all along, uh, you know, up to and including the primary? I, I would say... Uh, look at what they said in the primary, look at how they flip-flopped, but also look at their voting record, right? Like every single one of those people, I mean, uh, Kamala Harris uh, co-sponsored the Green New Deal in the Senate. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced the Ban Fracking Act in the House. Uh, Connor Lamb uh, voted to block our withdrawal from the Paris Climate Accord and voted to, to pave the way for a future Democratic president to ban fracking on private and federal land. Look at what these people do. Don't necessarily listen to what they say when they're desperately asking for your vote in election season. Sean Parnell, everybody, he's running in Pennsylvania's 17th. Hopefully going to be the next congressman from that district. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pulling for him. Sean, my friend, always great to talk to you. You've run a you've run a heck of a race so far, man. And we just we know you're going to finish strong. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Buck.